everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 145, Have Geek, Will Travel, recorded May 25th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. We have with us today a very special guest, the door-to-door geek, the traveling geek, your friend and ours, Mr. Steve McLaughlin. Hey, Steve, welcome. Hello, Mark. Hello, Chris. Hello, Seth. Oh, wait, sorry. I thought I was doing a recording. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you you feel like a member anyway as often as you uh, submit feedback. And of course, no as kidding. he just introduced on my behalf, we have uh, the our regular panel of co-hosts plus a guest. We have the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves, and the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hey, gentlemen. Good day and good afternoon. <laughs> good if I, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. There you go. But, uh, Truman Show reference. Yes. Um, Sorry, I, I was going to do something. I was going to say something weird, and then I lost it. So, well, welcome, everyone. Most everything you say is weird, so you're going to pick right up pretty quick. <laughs> right. I'm sure. Uh, speaking of Truman Show, that, that one I just re-ripped. I'm to the tease in my dvd collection you know i, I mentioned Very that good. i'm having to redo i've done 247 uh Ooh. and have maybe another 50 or so to go uh, i was gonna say so that's not like a far side index when you get to the t yeah it's the all that does so, okay <laughs> yeah i love that um no i uh i i i uh, uh disregard articles and the of etc uh when i'm alphabetizing uh, so i but you see like a movie like jet lee's the one yes you know otherwise it's just one right. and that really doesn't make sense you need the one because the the there is more than an article it's a descriptive part of i the actually title. file that one under j for jet lee for jet lee okay i can he's awesome enough he can get his own <laughs> that's right yeah so do you put chuck norris under c or n or do you do both i chuck has his own category Okay, Carlos <laughs> Ray the Norris because yeah. his real name isn't Chuck. Yeah. Chuck uh, Chuck defies categorization. I have the Chuck section. Um, <laughs> interesting factoid. Um, factoid, by the way, doesn't mean small fact. It means something that isn't a fact that sounds like a fact. So this one is probably really is a factoid. But uh, according to the DVD liner notes of Jet Li's The One, there was a scene in there where he was moving so fast, audiences laughed at him because they thought it was a goofy special effect, and they slowed down the film to make it, quote, more realistic. <laughs> wow. They had to do that with Bruce Lee all the time. Yeah. They had to reshoot entire scenes because the cameras, especially back then, literally, they couldn't track his movements. He was so fast. Yeah. And I, on Someday. the other hand, run a 40-minute a half meter. So, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> there's the whole range of, of spectrums uh, I, I don't want to go too much farther without uh, saying that today uh, is Memorial Day weekend actually tomorrow here in the US Memorial Day I know not every country celebrates Memorial Day and not every country certainly does it on the same day that we do but I want to take this moment to uh, remember those who have fallen uh, that's the difference by the way between Veterans Day and Memorial Day Memorial Day is not a celebration it's a commemoration uh, that doesn't mean that I begrudge you your barbecues and your lake trips. I think it's entirely appropriate to remember the sacrifice of those who've gone before by enjoying the things they sacrificed themselves for you to, to do. So uh, uh, that's it. Thank you, those who, who gave the ultimate sacrifice and those family members who have to live 
uh, on without them. And uh, today is the day we set aside in our country to remember that. Well said. Testify. Moment of silence. All right, that's good enough. Uh, <laughs> so that's uh, that's all I have to say in my whole warm-up section. But Seth is all about running again. What's going on, brother? Well, I um, set a record for the distance I ran. I ran 3.25 miles um, without wow. stopping. Uh, you know, not super fast because, you know, fat men don't run fast, but... I've never ran that far without even stopping for like, I just, I even just, when I ran by my water, I just scooped it up. And then on the next lap around, I put it back down. So, awesome. and that was just that's because awesome. it was a uh, Friday. That's, that's cool. That running, works. running yeah. is a, is a great thing. I hear I, I may try it someday. Well, you know, I mean, I jog, honestly, right. uh, lumber, maybe a better term but <laughs> so move at a quickened pace right or at least as long as slow. you move forward that's all that matters that's right and and as they would say in the uh the movie meet the robinsons keep moving <clears throat> forward mm-hmm. text, that's right it's actually a quote from walt disney yep we don't let's see if i can remember the whole quote we don't linger in the past much around here we keep moving forward something to that effect Close yeah. enough. I'm just I'm just spouting trivia all over the place tonight. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> well, you are a trivial pursuit nightmare. I, I'm a very trivial person, apparently. <laughs> right. Well, I'll just throw one more out there. If you don't celebrate <laughs> Memorial Day in, in your country, you could celebrate my birthday because that was uh, technically yesterday. Um, and if you're in Australia, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I think it's a week ago next Thursday. Gotcha. Uh, in Australia. Uh, so happy birthday. You're uh, what, 27 now? No, now I officially know everything because I'm 42. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The answer to life, the universe, and everything. Oh, and I bought my, uh, bought my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy complete set, and uh, I'm ready to start reading it. Awesome. So that makes Good three man. of us on the panel who hit 42 this year, and Chris, who's significantly behind us. Yeah. Yes. The kid, hey, the kid. I'm the kid. Yeah, Billy the kid. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll you'll know someday. You shoot. You two will know the pain of being 42. I'm sure. All right, let's move right into some listener. By the way, we don't have any topic tonight. We just have door to door geek. What more do you need? When doors on the yeah. show, you don't need a topic. Um, so we're gonna door is the topic. We're gonna run through some listener feedback. We're gonna run through some news and basically just make fools of ourselves, which is kind of our thing. Uh, sounds good to me <laughs> i just love the fact that i'm on a podcast where i don't have to do any work yes oh it's such joy such joy <laughs> well we we have those every week <laughs> no kidding <laughs> well Dor- the one time i did your show is literally the only time i've been a guest on a podcast and it it is a oh. liberating thing you just sit down you turn the mic on you talk and you walk away Dude, and I want to say right now, I was honored to have you on because of that fact alone. I knew Mark does not put himself out there and go on a lot of other shows. So for him to say yes to me, I did feel honored. Of course, you haven't asked me back, but. Uh. <laughs> well, patience, you know, we got to let it sink in. And, yeah. 
okay. Uh, so starting right with our, our first little bit of listener feedback, Ed has a, a bit of a rambling message, but I thought it was interesting enough uh, that uh, I would read it. Uh, it uh, basically revolves around being bandwidth impaired. It says, good day, uh, Mark, Chris, and Seth. Thank you for your podcast, which I find interesting and would, which makes me realize that some of my day-to-day issues, like slow internet connection, are experienced by other users. I'm on the wrong side of 70 after retiring from, uh, and after retiring a move from Cape Town at the bottom of, uh, tip of Africa to a small country town, some 150 kilometers to the north. It's a farming community and is quite different to the, uh, world, is a quite different world to the city that I lived in. As for my age, um, as for age, my wife cheered me up no end recently when I was painting our roof. She left me speechless when she said, that's the last time that you will paint the roof. Next time you'll be too old to climb on it. Sounds like a supportive woman. Uh, my yeah, computer, no kidding. My computing goes back to DOS, which I liked because of its stability, but I was thankful to move to Windows 3.1 and GUIs. With all due respect to the command line godfather, I do not want to do command line entries unless compelled to, as my ignorance could be disastrous. And anyway, anyhow, I have better things to do with my time than become a command line expert. Amen. Oh, come on now. (laughs) I have wanted to use Linux for some years out of curiosity and a distaste for the suffering endured by the likes of Windows 95, Windows 97, and Windows ME. I believe you mean Windows 98. Yeah. Yeah. Unless there was something in Africa that I don't know about. There wasn't a Windows 97. No, there was an Office 97. And laterally with Vista. In fairness, I must say that Windows 8.1, desktop use only, is very stable. Uh, Not wishing to be the cause of domestic mayhem by causing computer problems, I waited until XP support stopped and was able to persuade my wife to allow me to switch her Dell Pentium 4 PC, which is largely largely unused, over to Linux. Notice he kept Windows. I installed Linux Mint 17 Cinnamon Kiana, uh, which uh, I allowed to be the only OS on the PC. The clean installation went smoothly, and I had to meticulously follow all the instructions from downloading the ISO onwards. Then the problems showed up. Unable to Uh-oh. find basic stuff like the DVD drive, the Windows Live Cam VX800 that my wife uses to Skype, and the USB speakers, and the printer nightmare. Drivers are not provided for my Samsung ML1670. Uh-oh. And yes, I know about... Uh, this website, but I found the explanation from the key file onwards incomprehensible. Eventually, I gave up with Linux Mint and did a clean installation of Kubuntu 14.04 LTS. Even less luck. I could not log in no matter how often I tried. On Sunday past, without much hope, especially because it was such a small download, I installed Lubuntu 14.04 LTS. Thankfully, once installed, no login difficulty. It plays music CDs through the loudspeakers and no problem at all installing Skype and using the webcam and a microphone. Hallelujah! But I have yet to resolve the printer driver problem, which does puzzle me. For all that Microsoft have inflicted on me over the years, I believe I have the marks to show, I have not previously ever experienced a printer driver problem. And all have gone through, and I have gone through many printers. Perhaps I will yet overcome that problem. But there's... There is some community body with enough, but is there some community body with enough clout to make sure that Samsung provides satisfactory drivers? Some comments following my experience. Uh, nothing original, as you've already said it on your podcast. I'm in the view of, um, I am of the view that the broad Linux community are losing out on, from one estimate, some 200 million legacy PCs that are slowly being closed down now. 
Uh, most are probably like our old Pentium 4 Dell, simple, straightforward computers being used for everyday tasks, still working and probably good for some years to come. What users are looking for is a stable OS, straightforward installation, and able to do everyday tasks such as email, basic office, office tasks, internet, and Skype. And print! If communities had pooled their resources to compile and market such a Linux distro, distro they could have swept up the old XP users quite readily. And yes, horror of horrors, the users would probably have been prepared to pay for this, just to save the cost of a new computer. Living in a small community has made me realize that there are probably huge chunks of the world populace who cannot afford to ditch working computers simply because of the bloatware now emanating from Redmond. It's actually unnecessarily complicated for their needs, and countless people do not have the financial means to go out and buy replacement PCs. But perhaps this is what the Chromebook is potentially about, except that in many countries, data is expensive and reliability is problematic, which makes it preferable to store your data on your hardware. Enough of that, and I doff my hat to the Lubuntu community. Your distro works well when others failed. Many thanks for your show, which brings me great pleasure and some knowledge. Yours truly. Well, I I do think he hit on the... uh, glaring one of the glaring achilles heels of uh, linux and that is mm-hmm. printing support okay um, now we've talked about this a little bit in the past and i i want to address it again um this is not the linux community's fault this right. is the that in the same way i likened it before when we talked about it uh to the uh, win modem um that yep. that windows had, microsoft had done such a good job of building in the code straight into windows that manufacturers began building the dumbest devices possible. All they had to do was hook into the Microsoft APIs. Printers are the same way. Microsoft printing is solid and stable and has worked for so long that the cheap $30 printer you buy at Walmart um, is dumb. All it knows how to do is hook into the Windows API. So you drop it into a Mac or a Linux environment, and it doesn't know what to do. It doesn't have enough brains. This is not the Linux community's fault. This is the problem of manufacturers writing to a specific OS. Yeah. Well, yeah, and Mark, this isn't a this isn't a cheap printer. Um, when I did a quick lookup of it, it's a laser. This is a, a mono color laser. So I'm actually kind of surprised that that some of the built in drivers didn't work for it because I've plugged into Samsung's before and they worked fine. Right. Well, here's my suggestion. Um, take download and know he's on limited bandwidth. But get yourself a copy of a newer OpenSUSE, install it to a thumb drive if possible, boot to it, and just plug the printer up. OpenSUSE has built in literally plug-and-play for over 20,000 printers. No work required whatsoever, and it might work. Might not, but, but it might. Same thing with Fedora. Fedora's in the same boat. They have a lot of built-in support, too, for drivers. And one thing, make sure you've updated your OS because a lot of those issues you mentioned um, are fixed by subsequent updates. So whenever I do a new distro install, before I judge it on any bugs or anything not working, I always, you know, run updates on it. And then, you know, until there's no more updates to see what's been fixed by the update. So uh, you didn't mention if you had done that um, in your email, just, you know, that might take care of it. And you did also say that you're running the LTS versions, which by design uh, are running older drivers. Uh, yep. So Seth may have hit onto something. However, that's an old enough machine. I would think it should be in the LTS. Uh, and the fact that Lubuntu worked on it shows that it's built into Ubuntu. 
Uh, it yeah. was just something about the other distros you tried. I know when I did uh, Linux Mint uh, most recently, it found my um, Canon multi-scanner fax or uh, printer thing with no problems, and I really didn't expect it to work. The last time I had run uh, Linux on a laptop, which is a couple of years ago on a regular basis, uh, I had to save to a PDF email that pdf to my windows machine and print it out uh but this worked flawlessly using my windows machine even as the file sharer so uh, i didn't have any trouble with it so i'm a little surprised that a machine that uh established i don't want to say old uh but that established didn't have support in the base distros and by the fact that a different flavor of ubuntu did work tells me it's probably not ubuntu's fault yeah Especially since it was a, you know, Kubuntu, Lubuntu. I wonder if he's not, you know, for the reason like with Kubuntu not working, I wonder if it's because his graphics card wasn't strong enough to handle all of the composition effects. It's possible. So that would be why Cinnamon and Kubuntu didn't work. Because both Cinnamon and Kubuntu have compositing on by default. Yeah, and if you run a P4, that is pretty old hardware um, in terms of modern Linux distros. So... But the nice thing is you found that you run a lightweight distro on it. It's going to work just fine. And you said it's your wife's machine that it's seldom used. I don't think you're going to have any trouble with that at all. I think it's going to serve you well uh, for the life of that hardware. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if, if there's still issues that pop up with Lubuntu, he could always try another lightweight, you know, like we talked about with Peppermint or um, when the Razer and LXDE finally do a finalized in, uh, desktop, that might be one to look at too. All right, so Puppy, puppy Linux. <laughs> Let's move on to our next one. James wonders why the poor pass on Linux. He says, hey, guys, I live in Winder, Georgia, a town that has a lot of working poor. Uh, me and two others use Linux. With so many needing help uh, that a free OS like uh, Puppy, uh, my savings by running only one desktop back to 2002 and just two laptops. I'm not cheap, just broke. So I'm... James, I'm not really sure why the communication difficulties there. Uh, it's a little hard to read, but I, I his question is what I wanted to get there. Why do poor people pass on Linux? Because I, I see that a lot. Uh, those who are least able to pay for it uh, tend to be most afraid of it. Have you guys seen that as well? Yeah, I have. You know, and a lot of it goes to the and, you know, of course, this is overgeneralization, and I'm not trying to stereotype anyone, but in a lot of cases, the poor people are the uneducated people. True. And so they just the thought of, oh, my gosh, I don't know Linux, whereas they've probably been exposed to Windows in public libraries or schools or whatever. They at least have some familiarity with it versus having to do something that they don't think they have the... uh they don't think they have the skill set to learn because the nagging um, knock on Linux is that you have to be a geek to use it, yeah. um, which and, we and know not to be true. But Aside from that, it probably just doesn't come into their world. Um, yeah, that's what I, mean, I was going to say. Lin- Linux is the is the realm of the geek and the and the um, education centric or the the uh, the. I don't want to say elite, but certainly it's not mainstream. And so somebody with a a minimal education who doesn't hang around geeks may not even know it exists. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's what I was going to say. Um, about every year, I uh, go into Baltimore City <clears throat> with help from my father, retired Baltimore City police officer. I'll say that. Um, he knows poor families in the city, and at least once a year, I donate a family who's poor a complete working computer, soup to nuts, and I put TeamViewer on it, and I give them support. I don't even tell them it's Linux. They don't even... They just are happy to have a computer for the most part. And I'll get a couple questions here and there and I'll be happy, remote into their computer, help them out, get them all in it. Most of the time, what I find is their kids, I don't need to explain anything to them. I just need to give them a computer and they will figure everything out on their own. And dare I say, maybe because they're poor, they don't have any experience to computers. Thus, going into Linux is actually sometimes easier for them. Huh. Or as easy, I'll say, as running Windows. Yeah, if you don't have to break, if you don't have to, the less you have to unlearn, the easier it is to learn. Exactly, yeah. yes. And Jim Benson brings up a good point, too. You know, we're, we we teach Windows, we teach Microsoft Word. We're not teaching what a you know, how to use the computer or how to use a word processor. So, um, but that's old hat. We've, we've gone down that road a couple of times, uh, and everyone should know my opinion on it. So. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So uh, let's move on to the next bit of listener feedback. Kirk uh, has a question about encrypt- encrypting pen drives. Uh, I don't know the answer to this, so I'm going to pose it to the to the experts and see what happens. Hi, guys. I've been listening for a month or so now and generally uh, greatly appreciate your show. I have perhaps a detailed question and then a correction. Of course you do. Uh, what commands <laughs> would one use to encrypt a pen drive via Bash? I know that there are plenty of file sharing and storage options out there, but I'm paranoid and keep most of my files off of my computer and out of the cloud. I want there to be a password prompt on the drive whenever it's plugged in. And just a small correction in EDL 133, Arthur C. Clarke originated the quote about any sufficient technology being indistinguishable from magic. Cheers. We did correct that like minutes after we said it so uh, that's all right i can be doubly corrected so guys are you aware of something built into linux not using something like TrueCrypt, where you can encrypt a drive and decrypt the drive using only what's on the drive there has to be some kind of encryption there is because there is the option when i install to encrypt my home partition but i don't know what that is yeah, off the top of my head, I don't have it, but I have it in my Linux book that's just up there in the bookshelf. <laughs> but yeah, there is a way to do it. Uh, loop, it's a loopback device is what you have to set up. Um, for the way that the description, the way that I was shown in the book, it, it's when you mount the device, you then have to set up a loopback, and then in that loopback partition is where you set up the encryption, and it's using whatever encryption method you want to use to do it but it's it's a linux only thing so if you took that drive over to a windows right. machine you wouldn't be able to unlock it um if you want to be able to take it from multiple distros you know not just distros but different operating systems you would have to use something that's more universal like maybe axcrypt or truecrypt but then that would have to be installed on every machine you work on so that that um, runs a risk there yeah, not necessarily Axcrypt does come in a portable version where you okay. can have the executable yep. on the thumb drive. Okay. A cross-platform executable? Well, I know 
it can work in wine. wine. I don't know if they have a native Linux Axe script. I don't think so either. It's a wine wrapper, I think. But is it going to be wine portable? I mean, you have to make sure that your Linux machine, everyone you go to has wine on it. Well, but regardless, no matter what, he's he's going to run into a problem because in order to unencrypt anything, you have to be able to pass a, a, a root password to it normally. To mount a device to um, to access the device in a way to unencrypt it, you would have to have at least a pseudo ability. Kirk, yeah. I know that there are drives that come with that in hardware. Right. They're they're I mean they're yep. they're not cheap, and you're not going to pick them up at at uh, your local grocery store. Uh, but you can do a search online, elementopi.com slash Amazon, and and you should be able to find a an an encrypted drive that will do all that in the drive. Whether yeah, one of them was called Iron Key. What, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be uh, as universally available as, say, a fat partition that you can plug in anywhere. Yeah, Iron Key is one of the ones that I know that is in a, a. When you buy it, it's encrypted, and then if somebody fails the password prompt, I think it's. I think they have a limit of ten attempts. It nukes yeah. itself. So. If you really are paranoid and you want something that's safe and you don't want to worry about, I mean, you do have the risk of if you mess up. And that's not 10 times at one try. It's 10 times over the lifetime of the drive unless they've changed it. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're security beyond security when it comes to pen drives so they're like tinfoil underwear people yeah (laughs) Yeah. and and i'm looking now and and you're gonna pay for a four gig drive 30 bucks for uh for an eight gig drive 100 bucks uh you're you're gonna pay for that um so if you're both cheap and paranoid man i don't know what to tell you yeah yeah i mean he also without using true crypt you're going to have issues going from computer to computer unless it's a physical thing, yeah. But it, he doesn't say what machine, what OS he's running. So he could be running Windows because he does say something about, um, where was that? Do-do-do-do-do. Nope, it doesn't say anything about what drive, if he's if it's a, a letter or anything. So w- without knowing his base operating system, it's really hard to even give you much advice other than, well, you he know, did say the, Bash script, so that's, yeah, that's Linux. Yeah, Bash. Well, si, 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 what is it? Sigwin mod, whatever. Sigwin. That on your one. Sigwin. Sigwin, whatever. <laughs> I don't ever use it, so I don't know. I, I'm always in my Linux box. Uh, okay, you uh, lost I, me at Bash. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's a command line tool, Seth. We'll we'll get back to you a little later on. <laughs> Okay. Kirk, if waiting. you really want to know, I'll go find it. Um, send us another email saying that you want to know the the book that I pull it from, and I'll I'll send you the book. Maybe I'll type the quote out because it's pretty straightforward and, and as a bash thing. Um, and I can type it out to you and send it. But send us an email. Let us know. All right. Uh, moving on to the next one, Alexis. Uh, I pulled his as representative of a number of, of emails that I got on this same subject. One from our very own door to door geek, um, re- referring to how to send the tab command 
in uh, Android. It says, Hi, Mark, Seth, and Chris. I just finished listening to episode 142 and didn't have time to start 143 yet, so I expect that someone else has already provided the same feedback. But as me, uh, same feedback as me. But just in case, here it is. A keyboard that I used in the past since Android 2.3 that has a tab key is the hacker's keyboard. It may sound a bit of a hack, but as a description says, it's based on AOSP, Android Open Source Project, gingerbread keyboard. So it's full, uh, pretty reliable. Uh, it's made to be used with ConnectBot, so I think that it's worth a try with any app to connect through SSH. I've also tried it at some point with Juice SSH, and it's been a, but it's been a long time, so I don't know if it still works as it should. So that's it, really. I really enjoyed your shows and hope you will continue as long as for a continue as you are for a long time i listen to you when i go and return from work thus time passes much more pleasantly take care alexis i am a greek living in sweden with my brazilian girlfriend so we are truly an international show sweet Um, that's awesome uh alexis many people sent me many different alternatives for keyboards so yes the solution is out there but i want to go on record to say that's silly the standard thing that's on every keyboard going back to the old typewriters isn't on any of the standard keyboards. That's ridiculous. If you have an Asus Transformer tablet, it's on the keyboard. Yes, I do, yeah. and it is. Uh, but, I mean, why, why wouldn't that be in swipe? Why wouldn't that be in the standard uh, keyboard? It's, it's just silly. I guess they, the, the assumption is that we would never... I'm fine if it's behind two alternate things. I'm fine with that. If I have to hit the alt and then the, the second alt, that, that it's, but it needs to be there. Well, and it's just I, silly I, that it's not. I'll just say, if you listened to Android App Addicts, you would have known about that keyboard a year ago. <laughs> um, and I'll say this. Um, the plus to Hacker's Keyboard, and the other one I'll throw out there is Terminal IDE, comes with a built-in keyboard. Not only did they do tab, but they also can do... Control C, Control D, and Control R via the keyboard. Nice. Oh. I'll have to cool. take a look at Hacker's keyboard now that I need um, a new inputting device. Yeah, and I mean, every phone since, probably since Gingerbread, has had multi-touch on the keyboard. So why don't I just put a Control key there? Why do we have to have all these hacks? Why can't I hit Control with one thumb and C with the other thumb? I don't get I it. I know. Start it, do it, and you'll make lots of money more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those, all those Android geeks who don't pay ninety nine cents for anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, that I'd have to put ads in it. Who wants ads in their keyboard? That would be awesome. Actually, that's a brilliant idea. Every time you type a letter, it gives you an ad associated with that letter. Did no, you wanna- no, no. Every time you type a letter, the ad jumps to somewhere else, so you don't know if you're going to hit the key or the ad. No, 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 it's better. Autocorrect solutions that are ads. Ads. Did you mean GoPro? That's that's, that's brilliant and evil at the same time, Mark. Shame on you for giving that an airway plug, because now someone's going to do it. Oh, yeah. Look, coming to an iPhone near you. Great. Ooh, I should do that for the iPhone. I would love it if that became widespread on Apple devices. <laughs> It'd have to go through the pat the store first, though. I mean, autocorrect no, well, really can't get any worse. Why not throw ads in there? You're not going to hurt it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, 
Next uh, awesome. bit of email. Uh, it was actually a forum post, but I loved it so much I had to bring it in here. Uh, a really bad movie from Ham3003. He says, Jim Cotta. Kirk Thomas, Olympic gymnast drafted by a spy agency to use his gymnastics-based fighting skills to infiltrate a country they could not get into but was hosting an international gymnastics competition. So bad that in the middle of the movie, he's in a town of zombie-like people, and in the town square, there's a well for the fight purposes, suddenly works just like a pummel horse. So bad my eyes still bleed when I think about it. I remembered when Jim Cotta came out at the theaters. I remember that. I didn't go see it, thankfully, but I remember the ads for it, and they were terrible even in the ads. I'm watching the yes, trailer. Now. I watched. I remember vividly renting this on you rented VHS. It. Oh! <laughs> Tell us about it, Seth. How was it, dude? You know, I can't. I just got out of therapy from talking about <laughs> it. So, <laughs> no, it is. It is super, super cheese. I mean. You know, okay, there, there's the, um, there's the kung fu chop sake movies, you know, with the bad English dubbing, um, and all of the, yes. uh, you know, that they just randomized throughout the whole movie. Those are good in the cheesy Sharknado kind of way. And then there is just, there's like Jim Cotta. It's like, what is the worst aspect of every film ever made? And Jim Cotta is the place you'll find it. Wow. So really Not available on Netflix, Netflix streaming. I just checked. Uh, but you may be able to get the DVD if it ever made it to DVD. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are VHS copies somewhere. You know, sometimes when you get a DVD uh, of these things, like in the $5 bin or whatever, uh, you can tell that it literally is a scan of a VHS tape onto a DVD. Right. And, and those make me laugh. I just watched the trailer in its entirety, and wow. <laughs> <laughs> Ham three thousand three touche. Good nice. job, sir. I mean, it's no Sharknado, but it's way up there. Oh no, but it's its own. Are, are we talking? Um, what is that? They're alive. Level of oh, cheese. They live. Oh, they live. Oh, they live. They live. Yeah, it's it's too good to be a bad movie. It's yeah. awesome. It's but Dude, it's, wait a minute. You can buy Jim Cotta posters from Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a bad ad that can't be real oh my Lord. i was the game jim Cotta style t-shirt from cafe oh, press okay <laughs> okay <laughs> oh my it's called rare martial arts action drama vhs yes <laughs> it's available uh on the interwebs oh my goodness 1985 <laughs> oh okay <laughs> a lot of terrible things happened in 1985 this is just on the list it was right smack in the middle of the 80s man it didn't have a shot <laughs> i'm sorry for 1985 uh, jams and and 50 style 3d glasses and throw in some kung fu gymnastics while you're at it nice yeah all right our last bit of listener feedback ow wants a job says, I've been listening to the show for quite a while, and I love it. Sorry I'm running behind on my podcast listening, but I've been using Linux for about six years. Right now I'm using Hybride and love it. I don't do much in the command line, but I can still get things done. I've been a short-haul truck driver for about 25 years, and I'm thinking of a career change. Being 48 makes me wonder if I can do it. Anyway, I don't think this has been covered in a show, but how about a show about Linux jobs? 
uh, excuse me, about jobs in Linux and what it takes to do it, what jobs there are and the aspects of it, pay, benefits, etc. Another good thing to talk about is what school or classes would be needed, including what credentials would be needed. One hurdle I'd have to jump is actually learning how to type. I can use four fingers, only six more to go. Thanks, guys, and have a good day. Al, go bacon! Uh, <laughs> nice. So, Al, we have talked about that off and on uh, about the jobs out there, but I I, I will take that under advisement. I, I'll have to see uh, what we can do to uh, uh, round up the jobs available and the pay and that sort of thing, but I can't answer one of your questions right now, and that is, where can you go to get started in learning about Linux? And that's right there with our friends over at linuxacademy.com. Uh, you go there, and uh, their whole purpose is to teach you exactly what you want to know, how to take you from being a long-haul truck driver to being a Linux system administrator. Now, they're not going to get you a job, but they can certainly get you started on your path. Uh, Linux Academy consists of step-by-step video courses designed to take beginners to uh, certified professionals. Uh, you get uh, you get a Linux lab set up for you, virtual machines that you can work with. You get PDF study guides. You get uh, downloadable uh, uh, content uh, as well as, as streaming content. There's a, a, an active user community there in the forums. Uh, you have uh, all of these you know, amazing features that I talk about all the time uh, brought to you in, by by people who are experts in the field who have been certified by CompTIA as high-quality trainers and offering high-quality content. Um, they have everything laid out re- very simply in a dashboard-style uh, environment. You uh, check on the module that you want. The module consists of a, a, list, a series of lessons, and the lessons consist of a series of videos, and each one of those walks you through an objective. One of the first uh, objectives that you might want to try is the LPIC Level 1, which is the Linux Professional Institute, uh, their uh, their first level uh, um, certification. That's what that's designed to do. You start with that module, you go from beginning to end, uh, you take all the quizzes, you do all the assignments. Uh, when you're done, you take the practice, practice exam, and you're pretty much guaranteed to, uh, not guaranteed, I'm not going to make you promises, but pretty much guaranteed to be able to pass. How do we know that? Because right now they have a 100% success rate. Everybody who has reported that they tried the, the level one exam have passed the level one exam because their content is so good. And you can get started just for, uh, for a dollar. 14-day trial. You can stick your head in, see what you think. If you like it, stick around for a while. Uh, and uh, after that first uh, 14 days is up, uh, you can uh, convert to a $25 monthly subscription. Or if you want to buy in bulk, you can get that down to as low as $19 a month if you buy annually. When you do, and I know you are going to, when you go there and when you buy, use the referral code Everyday Linux in the uh, box to let them know that we sent you. And I will say you do get a return on investment technically because you get a discount when you go to take your cert you get a 20 percent off of uh the linux certs i believe there you go and uh in fact it's a very it's either brand new or hasn't rolled out yet so i may have my timelines mixed up but now you can actually pay for your comptia and your lpic tests through the linux academy um they they've synergized that now so that you you don't have to go two places uh so check them out very nice and Seth is struggling to do his bit there. Dude, I can't. Man, everything is like fill out this thing and, and we'll get back to you. And, you know, well, I don't I don't want to do that because I don't want a bunch more spam from places. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, 
we've Here's talked about this every week. Uh, there, there's, there are other places on the internet where you can get learning. Some you will pay less, some you will pay more, but you will not pay less for better. Period. Right. Bang for the Definitely. buck. All right. So with that, let's move on to the news of the week and see what uh, what Seth has crowded. Uh, 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 I was reading crowdsource. See what Seth has uh, called for us from the internet at large. NASA. Um, is looking to turn to you for funding since the federal government won't won't do it. Yeah, and this is actually a story more of a place where crowdfunding. Um, there's this old satellite NASA launched many many years ago to monitor solar winds, and it's been sitting up, um, you know, orbiting around space, kind of just out there for many years, not doing anything. And they were approached by this outside group who wants to um, see if they can reestablish communications with the satellite and use it to monitor solar winds. The satellite is the ISEE-3, originally launched in 1978. So this has been up there for a while. And the um, the uh, crowdsourcing project actually closed on the 23rd, so just a couple of days ago from the recording of this. They had a goal of $125,000. They raised just under $160,000. Nice. Um, and this, and the reason that the time is now for this is it's at the closest point to Earth it's going to be for like the next 30 or 40 years. So, Obviously, you know, the communication loops are shorter and it would just be easier to establish communication now. And so they're trying to do it. They kind of approached NASA and NASA said, hey, yeah, that's good. Go for it. So, you know, it's cool that, you know, we're one reusing stuff that's already up there. So we're not launching more junk into outer space, but it's the private sector partnering with a nonprofit agency here in order to just, you know, learn more about what in our solar system so i thought it was pretty cool recycling space style yeah that works i like the idea and i'm impressed that they raised enough the over their goal to do the to get it done yeah yeah it's really pretty neat so uh okay and the next one i just love seth's headline so much here i'm gonna read it as is what's the difference between apple and hotel california (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, if you've ever switched from an Apple phone to a non-Apple phone, you probably know the answer is pretty much nothing. Um, Apple has finally won. They finally admitted the problem, um, which is you kind of have to when you vow to fix it. But there has been a persistent bug in the iOS mobile operating system that punishes former iPhone users. Basically, you have your iPhone and you text your friends back and forth, you know, hey, what's up? Nothing later, K, you know, just all the, the waste, how we waste our lives with text. But now you switch to a Galaxy Tab or a WebOS or a Blackberry or, you know, a straight talk cheap phone because you lost your job, whatever. Um, all of a sudden you can't communicate with your form with your friends who are on iPhones because, um, you know, Apple is very private and they, they don't like to let go of anything. You would just never get the messages that they would send because even though you don't have an iPhone, Apple still treats it like you does, like you do. And so they won't release the message to the phone company to get delivered. It just kind of gets stuck on the Apple server and they've admitted that it's a problem. Um, 
And basically, Apple's pledge to fix the flaw once and for all comes on the heels of a class action lawsuit filed against it over the bug. Yeah, so complaints didn't work for three years. A lawsuit finally got their attention. Yeah, go figure. Surprise, you know, and all they had to say was, you really don't want to communicate. That's not a flaw. It's a feature. <laughs> yes. And then they would never had to fix yeah. it. So basically, the, the, the way I understand iMessage to work is the primary mode of communication is over your data network from iMessage to iMessage. But if somebody's not on iMessage, you can send SMSs out. But when somebody had been on iMessage and now is no longer, they're refusing to SMS out and stick staying with iMessage and it's just messages never being delivered that's yep. uh, that's basically the way i read that uh it's it's a flaw i don't i'm not willing to say that it's an intentional um, you know, thing, but they didn't care about fixing it until fixing it was going to cost them not fixing it was going to cost them something well, that's, yeah isn't that usually how tech departments work when it comes to apple yeah, well, anybody, sadly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I mean, hey, you know, I love to bash Apple, but we've got stories in here against other companies, too. I, I like to, I just, it's news, folks. We're spreading the wealth this week. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> Facebook has long been known for mining its users' data, uh, and now they're asking you to help. It, it turns out there's more data than they can mine. They want you to do it for you. For Yes. Um, you know, every time, like, there's a... I have a Facebook profile, um, but there's a lot of stuff I don't list in there. You know, like I've never list where I went to college or my family members or anything like that. And so now they Facebook is introducing this so-called feature called Ask, where you can take someone on your friends list and you can say, hey, I noticed you didn't list where you went to school. So how about telling me where you went to school? And it's kind of it's not something that you can turn off. You just have to kind of sit there with that notification nagging you. Hey, where'd you go to school? Hey, where'd you go to school? Hey, where'd you go to school? Um, basically, you know, Facebook wants peer pressure to capitulate for you to capitulate and just give them all your information so they can own you lock stock and barrel uh pretty much what it is but of course they couch it in the feature provides an easy way for friends to ask you for information that's not already on your profile um you know basically hey we don't want to have to waste effort looking through different websites you visit to find your information hey cattle how about asking the other cattle where they like to eat at is kind of what facebook is saying yeah. uh, and you're so, supposed to respond by going moo i mean the problem is the facebook has decided they don't have enough information about it. you're not availing yourself of all of their features features right. which allow them to target ads better so since you yourself are not voluntarily availing yourself of those features, they will put some pressure on from other people to to do that. And so, yeah, it's insidious, maybe, um, but it's business. If if you're if you're not paying for a product, you are the product. Yeah. Oh, I know, and you know, but I'll ran against it, Dad Gummit. <laughs> <laughs> Get off my lawn. Right. So we talked last week about the fact that Microsoft, uh, excuse me, that China is uh, is recommending users switch from XP to um, uh, Linux instead of uh, anything else. Well, they've gone a little farther. They've actually outlawed Windows 8 now. 
Yes, the uh, Chinese government has banned Windows 8 from a sizable chunk of public sector PCs. Uh, It kind of caps off a long-running dispute between them and Microsoft over the company's decision to cut support for XP. Basically, um, for large sections of their government, when they spec out bids for new PCs, you're not allowed to have Windows 8 in it. Um, you know, I mean, it can be whatever else. I guess you could do seven, um, if you wanted to, you know, or, you know, some Linux or uh, Apple or whatever else. So outlawed is headline writer speak, but really what it means is if you're spending government money, Windows 8 can't be on it. Right. Period. And, and not all government money, just most public sector. So, you know, I mean, it, it would be kind of like, you know, for in the America, it would be like the, the State Department and Justice Department outlaws it. So, you know, it's not the entire government. It's just two. It's just some huge sections of the government that are again, they're not outlawing it, but you can't it can't be part of the bid. So I don't know if hey, I don't know if they left a loophole where you can spec the hardware and get the OS for free. Um, you know, or Windows Seven with a free upgrade. Um, now, see the way I'm reading that is the the presence of Windows Eight nullifies it. Like you, you can't buy it. You could buy a blank hard drive, but you can't buy a hard drive with Windows Eight on it. That's the way I read it. Um, in my fluent Chinese, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, and uh, and again, I didn't go into all of the nuances. This is just one. This is actually the register commenting um on the story so but yeah they specifically put in their notice that the windows 8 operating system is excluded in the bidding so you're not necessarily outlawed but excluded so you could do windows 7 and then you know have a free upgrade to windows 8 maybe again so i I don't know if they're kind of leaving that loophole and they're just trying to send the message or you know is it just is it a game of chicken or is it just kind of like a, a wake up call for negotiations? Are they trying to get a better deal on extended XP support? I I'll just say it wouldn't it, what they're doing doesn't shock me. If I was the leader of a country, I would want my most precious government systems to be running an operating system that we had control over or we knew all of the underpinnings going on. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly if you were uh, a totalitarian-style government. Yes. Against. Which, which Steve Land would be a totalitarian government. Oh, I'm sure it would be, but everybody would have bacon. I would share that. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, it would good. be a benevolent dictatorship, but still. Mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know any Linux distros from uh, 12 years ago that are still in active support. So, you know, I mean, there comes a point where well. you got to... I don't necessarily agree with, you know, throw out this computer simply because OS is outdated, but at some point you need to upgrade your OS just simply because we do things now that weren't envisioned when that OS was developed. There you go. All right, moving on to the next one. We did a story a while back about Newegg fighting back against patent trolls. They sort of got slapped around in court a little bit. Well, a lower court has said, no, we're going to send this back up to a higher court, essentially. So Newegg is back in the fight. Sweet. Yes. Um, basically, um, Newegg has been given the go-ahead um, by the Supreme Court to go after patent trolls for court costs. Um 
part of the quote from Newegg. At Newegg, we've always believed paying off extortionists only encourage more extortion, and there had to be a negative consequence of suing Newegg without just cause. Um, we insisted on seeking a return of our legal fees from site update, and um, you know, a site update is one of the um, you know, we use the term patent troll. I don't know that that's a legal term, although I think it would be a good one. Um, that <laughs> they actually a, a use the term douchebag in their press release. <laughs> you got to love that. Yeah. So, um, you know, and so I personally applaud this move. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court demonstrating some uncommon sense here saying if you make up a stupid patent just to try to get money for people and somebody calls your bluff, you should have to pay their court cost for, you know, wasting everybody's time and our time. Uh, so like I say, uncommon sense. I applaud you, Supreme Court. Yay. I wish it happened more often. Yeah. Then, but you can't. Then it would be common sense, and everybody would have it. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be a wonderful world. It would yeah. be. Uh, okay, next up on the list, uh, open source has been copyrighted. Yeah, kind of. you, I didn't know if we could kind of launch this one into a discussion, but basically, um, the um, oh, what was his title? Chief of Open Source Affairs at Red Hat posted a video and he went to the a creative commons website for some music for it and then he was hit with all of these um copyright infringement claims uh on this stuff that was licensed under creative commons and therefore you know it's free and anybody can use it and the the sad part is that all you have to do is just you know do a takedown notice um and then it becomes the person who uploaded it. They have to fight it and they right. can risk having a negative strike on their account. And so the, the hope is that you won't fight it. You'll either take it down or they can monetize, you know, the ads that are placed in it basically. And yeah, so I've, uh, this is a broken system where you, where the, the accused must prove a negative. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's screwed. I, I used to, uh, in pre-show i don't do it anymore on youtube for this very reason uh before we were we were hit the live button um i would uh play some music uh and it was all creative commons music that i uh some of it i licensed simply by asking for it uh some of it was free uh with no attribution i carefully selected these music things uh and then it got to the point where youtube was flagging every one of them yep. as being um copyrighted even though they weren't they were copy lefted um and their solution to it is to simply mute the audio track so in a two-hour broadcast if three minutes of it was flagged as copyrighted the audio for the entire three hours was just muted uh, and, and again, it's up to me to then go and file a petition to prove a negative to, in order to get that back. And, and if you do, like you said, Seth, you run the risk of losing and losing by virtue of a, a Python script disagreeing with you. No human, I think, ever even would look at it. Um, and you could get sort of downgraded at YouTube by doing something legal. Yeah, I'll just say, here's why I will not use YouTube as a revenue generator for myself. Podcast one plus year ago, I played a clip from the Charlie Chaplin movie, The um, the um, Great Dictator, where he gave a speech. And the speech is... Great speech. Uh, yeah, the speech is like subtitled The um, the um, 
greatest speech ever. And I just played that speech and that is open. It's available. It's non-licensed. It's out in public domain. I played it in a show. I got flagged in YouTube because a guy has a song that he made. And in the background of the song that he made, he plays this speech and he claimed that I was infringing on his intellectual property and Google would not give it, would not take it off of my record. Wow. And I doubt that it was even him complaining. It was an automated system saying he registered this and you're using something that he registered. Yep. And wow. there's yeah. just, there's, it's stupid bots making stupid decisions. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, a, um, this article brings out another thing. It's in a different, um, segment of society, but the exact same thing is all the mortgage and banks who would do the robo signing of, uh, forms, you know, without, ever actually going through them and you know that was ruled to be illegal and you know not that it still doesn't happen now but at least it's illegal when it happens but it's the same kind of thing oh this is you know it's better you know youtube makes it you should claim copyright infringement on somebody else's work just in case you might get something out of it because it doesn't cost you anything except the time to like you know and chris you could probably do this over the course of a show write some type of bash script that just randomly um claims copyright infringement on youtube uh users and you know and and if they don't, if they just accept it, any advertising that's generated from that, you get to monetize. And so exactly. it becomes easy. You know, you, you write, you spend some time and you don't even have to write the script. I'm sure you can go buy a script or you can Google how to rip people off on YouTube and probably find <laughs> hundreds of optimized scripts. And then you can make money simply by, you know, sub by, you know, either inputting a URL or a username and then it's up it's the good guys you know you're being extorted um and yet you're not allowed to defend yourself you just have to say okay take my money because it's worth more it's more effort to fight back um and you you can't go get the sheriff because the sheriff can only be reached um by a 1-900 number you have to pay for that rings to a pager that he only turns on every third week when he's in the shower in another town um it's just it's a broken system and it needs to be fixed dog on it get off my lawn Dare I say, Sorry. it's like spam. Even if only one out of every 10,000 takedown things result in them making a penny here and there, it's still worth their while. Right. It's so easy to do and cost nothing. Um, yeah, any revenue stream works. It's, But I, I, I put the blame squarely on Google for this, for creating a system where you have to prove a negative. And I just I just don't think any... you. It's just dumb. But it's the system that would keep them from getting sued really they have to set themselves up as a as a common carrier and say we're not responsible uh if you report it we'll take it down so it's it's their fault but it's it's understandable why they did it you know they could they could either lose youtube and get sued out of existence on youtube or they could set up a stupid thing that punishes the users and sadly punishing the users is the way things always tend to go they're a product yep, of the yeah. system, man. Don't don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned uh, many years ago from uh, James Randi, proving a negative is not worth your time. It's much too complicated. So whenever I get a takedown notice from YouTube, I don't. I just take it down. Yeah, it's just yeah. 
It's a no-win situation. Mm-hmm. It's crap, though. That we the have to Kobayashi Maru in that position. <laughs> it's. I just think it's silly. But you know, let's let me put some perspective on it. I'm complaining about a system that lets me upload two hours of video, high quality video every week at no cost and lets mm-hmm. potentially millions of people watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, while I'm whining about it, I'm certainly abusing the crap out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the American way. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to another thing that's the American way monopolies. Well, not really. They're technically illegal. And Steam is sort of becoming a monopoly in terms of gaming on Linux. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What do we think? Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I had never thought of it until I saw this, um, article, but it's very true. Um, I, I had, you know, they mentioned in here something called Linux game publishing. Um, I, I had never heard of them. I didn't know they made games for Linux, but, you know, apparently nobody else did either. And it doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like they've um, released a new game anytime soon. So, is Steam going to be the game, the gaming platform for Linux, or is it going to be a gaming platform for Linux? Um, I think that monopolies are bad, but you know, unfortunately, it, the Linux desktop market isn't really is it big enough to support you know, where Steam is a gaming platform uh, or can it only support one gaming platform? So it, it, it's just, you know, food for thought. Um, and I don't really know what's kind of newsworthy about this story, but it was just like, oh, wow. You know, I really can't think of anything else. I mean, you know, Steam is big enough that they uh, generate, you know, lots of headlines and lots of news doing this. And so they're exposing more people to Linux. So that's good from the, from the Linux community's point of view or bad, I guess, depending on who you talk to. Um, but you know, what happens when there isn't another option that can come out with big games? You know, I'd like I, to hear it, what our resident, uh, uh, steam, uh, zealot has to say <laughs> on the subject. Um, well, you know, personally, at this point, I don't, I, you can call it a monopoly, but when you're truly the only innovator in the space, are you really a, in a monopoly? Um, I know there are other places out there, like, uh, I'm sure I saw you in the chat room, Doors bringing up Desura. Um, and I understand that there are other places to get games at for Linux, but can you really say that it's a monopoly if the only innovator in this space is Steam? Well, you know, there was a time when the only innovator in the browser space was Microsoft, and look at how that um, helped the web mature and grow. I'm sorry, what? Microsoft, <laughs> the only innovator? Well, after uh, they demand, after they forced people to, to use yourself. their free browser, they did nothing. So, you know, they were the only browser out there for a long time, and the internet stagnated. Yeah, IE3 to IE5. Yeah, horrible. Yeah, and I mean, I'm with you, Chris. If they are a monopoly, they're a monopoly by playing the game and by playing the game good, not by buying people out, not by shutting people down, not by playing dirty, but merely by trying harder than others. Well, I don't remember ever seeing Desura or any of the other Linux um, gaming places doing anything to pressure um, Nvidia, Intel, and eight or was it AMD now? Because they own yeah. ATI. I don't remember seeing any of them ever pressuring the graphics chip manufacturers to get better driver support. 
right so, or by doing or i've never seen them do the opposite which steam also went to the debian developers and they gave yeah. debian developers free accounts with unlimited games every game available for linux every developer for debian has for free how dare you present the only solution that works <laughs> how dare you well, so. I mean, you know, we say no one else did it. We just don't know if anybody else did it because, you know, I, I can demand that some, that they change, but they're not going to listen to me, you know? Um, so we don't know that they did well, it because they okay, weren't big uh, enough okay. to make anybody. This harkens know. back last week to Mark talking about when do you have the right to complain? And, you know, when should you complain kind of thing? I'll say, Anyone willing to put the effort in to create a large enough group to complain where others hear you, you have the right to complain. But do you want to invest the time? Do you want to invest the manpower, the fingertips of typing, of creating a group, creating a consortium of people loud enough to complain? We haven't done that with gaming on Linux that I know of in any shape, way, or form. Yeah. Because before, the only solution was, is, well, I guess I'll have to run it in wine. Or I hope it runs in wine and stays stable. So I actually give, you know, Steam and the Valve team a lot of credit because without them, there wouldn't be any AAA titles coming to Linux. You know, and more and more I'm seeing more games, you know, AAA titles that are actually either being converted or maybe they're they're getting a wine wrapper, but they're at least looking this way. Yeah. You know, that plus the humble bundle people, you know, there's at least some movement and at least some movement's better than no movement. I really think the Linux based console is what's gonna solve this this conundrum. When 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 appliances, gaming appliances become Linux based and we're seeing them move that direction, then it's something that is going to open up a, a wider market and people are going to jump onto. As long as it's hobbyist uh, uh 2% fringe PC market yeah. as Linux is, uh there's there's only room for one major player. Yep. So the only guy who can do it is by default going to be a monopoly. But I, I really think that uh, these alternative OSs in the living room are are going to to be a thing in the future. I think that we're going to see uh, microcomputers like the Pi uh, yep. become more popular. We're going to see Android make an encroachment, uh, and I think we're going to see Linux. But nobody's going to know it's Linux. It's just going to be this box, just like nobody knows what OS is on the Xbox. It's yep. just a box that does what I want to do. Or the Roku. And, and, right, the Roku as well. And manufacturers who want... To do something awesome, cheaply are going to turn to Linux, uh, and you know that's not a bad thing. Yes. Yeah, I'm actually very happy, and I can't wait to see what happens when the Steam Box gets full release. Um, I probably won't buy the first one, but I will be definitely buying one. Yeah. I don't know if I'll buy any of them to be honest, because I, something tells me they're not going to be cheap. But man, I look forward to disruption on everything, including console gaming system. As long as the TiVoization, quote-unquote, doesn't happen, which I've recently just found out what that TiVoization thing actually meant. What does that mean? I've not heard that term. Uh, basically, they splinter and fork something off to where it will run on the console, but you will not be able to get it to run on your desktop running the same basic operating system. Um, huh. As long as that doesn't happen... 
I'm all game for it. And honestly, I don't know Steam's intentions. I don't know what their end game is, what their end goal is. But I like to believe they just want, they're like the Google of games. More games in more places equal more money. Make it happen. Yeah. That was fine when Google stuck by their motto of do no evil. (laughs) I think that's, um, the, the, the Valve team, I think that's, that's their idea. From what I understand, from all the, the things I read in the, the little things that pull out of their, um, website, I think they're looking more to be the Google of the video game market, like you said, Steve. Um, I, I don't see them doing anything intentionally wrong. I, I guess it would be the best way of wording that. Um, it may be that they put the companies like Desura out of business because they're doing it better. Hey, um, if they do, I say K Sarah Sarah. Well, that's the market. I mean, that's the other thing that that is, is, you know, that is our market. You know, that is democracy. The better project wins, regardless if it's, you know, that's just the way the ball rolls, I guess. Yeah, the, the the technology marketplace is the ultimate democracy. What works and what people like, you will use. And yep. that sometimes gives us Microsoft, and we complain about it. But the fact is, it works, and most people like it. Uh, and so... Well, what we gets marketed well, I well, think. Yeah. Um, but not necessarily the best. Marketing, good marketing for a bad product won't help, a.k.a. Yeah. Vista. Uh, Vista was marketed well, but it was not a good product. People didn't like it. Beats Audio, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, and, and Beats Audio is because a generation of people don't know what good sound is. Yeah. That's the only reason they're able to do their thing. Uh, more bass, more better. Right. <laughs> and I'll just say, as long as my retro pie keeps working, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> See, you know, I guess when you bring up the idea of you know putting an ad space forward to try and sell a product, when have, when was the last time you saw a Steam commercial? I don't know that I ever have. It, exactly. Know. You never have. They've never advertised it. The Steam project, from what I understand, is an online-driven thing only or word of mouth. There has never, I've never ever seen a TV ad. I've seen it maybe, I've seen one or two in the computer gaming magazines, but never on the TV. Hmm. So. Well, but now, has the Steam console officially launched yet? No, not yet. So, I mean, you know, they they don't have a ton of money, so I wouldn't really expect to see them until the launch. I don't well, even think they'll put them on the launch. I honestly don't Trump, think so. I th- I think they're going to do they're going to hype them up during their big Dota tournaments, saying, "Hey, look, this Dota team is doing everything on Steam these Steam boxes. If you if you like D- Dota and you like this team and you want to play like them, here's the box for you." I don't even know what so, Dota is, but um, I was under the impression they w- they were going to pull another Google and not release anything themselves, but just allow people who meet their requirements yep. to have Steam branding o- on their boxes. Both. From what I understand, they're going to do both. There's going to be the uh, Nexus Steam box, you know, the, the, the vanilla box, and then there'll be all the, the different model makes and models. Cause you can go over to like, say, Cyber Power PC and they have a Steam box in their market line. Um, hmm. it's not available to buy right now. You can pre-order, but they have it in their store. Gotcha. At least the last time I was over there, they did. 
All right, but, I stopped caring about this topic a while ago because I'm a gamer. Uh, so let's move on to something I do care about, and that is Adobe being stupid. Um, if you download Adobe Shockwave, don't. Why the heck would you? But if you do, you're going to get a version of Flash that is more than a year old. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, and so, you know, this is just... I mean, yeah, okay, Adobe sucks security-wise, you know, almost as much as Oracle and Microsoft, um, or maybe more. But here's just, you have to be careful what you download. Uh, just because you have the current version of software, does the software that it contains, does it have the current versions of those? Because, you know, you can have the current version of Linux, but the it could ship with an old version of something like um, OpenSSL that is vulnerable to Heartbleed, you know, or an open version or an old version of LibreOffice or whatever. Um, so you have the latest version of Linux, but you don't necessarily have the latest version of all of the software that, you've, that comes with it. So, you know, one... Uh, Adobe should start eating their own dog food. You know, that's what really helped Oracle um, grow um, whatever the name of their database software is. I can't remember. Um, but, you know, once they started using it, once Microsoft started using IIS, it got better. Um, <laughs> you know, go figure. Um, you know, maybe if maybe if Adobe took the time to use the products they throw out to the market, they wouldn't be so crappy and bug riddled. Just a, yeah. just a thought. I, I went and did a cleanup of the living room PC, the family PC, uh, this weekend. And I uninstalled two different versions of Shockwave, four different versions of, of Java mm-hmm. runtime machines, uh, six or seven different toolbars. Um, and this is just from my, you know, my kids clicking whatever, you know, want to play, the, play this game? Click here. Uh, you know, I've got a good antivirus in, in, uh, in place. And so there was, wasn't anything necessarily harmful it was just a lot of crap on there and uh you know to 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 download shockwave anyway in this world of html5 is just ridiculous that anything would still require though things still do but for adobe not to even stay on top of their own projects um is is dumb and i would be willing to to make a small wager that if you updated the outdated version of flash that came with shockwave shockwave would stop working yeah, <laughs> probably <laughs> interesting it's, it's wager. old because it has to be old to work right all right so adobe just just stop just go away Please. just go away now that the internet Signed the internet. Adobe, go away. <laughs> don't don't go away angry. Just go away. <laughs> Bring on the HTML five. Yeah, I, and I'm having said that the world still needs Flash, and I'm still bummed that I can't get Flash on my Android phone because everybody's dumped it. Um, it's we're stuck in that no man's land right now of the old solutions are garbage, but the new solutions are still babies. Yeah. And well, we don't have anything yet. And they're not ready. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the sad part is if you're using something from last year or two years ago, it probably won't ever work with HTML5. And so as long as you keep using that program, you'll have to have Flash. Right. Yep. But, you know, like in the case of mobile, Flash is, is unsupported there. So you get a you get an, an ever crustier version of Flash just to make stuff work 
because the new stuff doesn't work yet. Well, I blame the web developers. I blame them for not being up on their game and refreshing sites like they should. And being yeah, lazy. And, and yeah. while you're blaming, blame me because my own site, in order to play my podcasts on elementopi.com, you need Flash because I have not found a good plugin yet that works for on mobile for HTML5. I just, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I haven't found it. I, I blame me too. Same thing with yeah. my site, but my excuse is, is it's on Drupal 6 and Drupal 6 modules are almost gone. And to upgrade Drupal involves deletion of folders, which yeah. scares me to even do. Yeah. You probably shouldn't have admitted that you're still using Drupal 6. I already have. I already have. And I, <laughs> hey, I'm just holding out for Drupal 8 because Drupal 8 is supposed to have a click and import and click and upgrade feature. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Everything about Drupal is harder than it should be. Uh, building it is harder than it should be. Maintaining it is harder than it should be. Um, uh, upgrading it is darn near impossible. Mm-hmm. But I love um, it. Yeah, but but <laughs> exactly it does what it does really really well yeah so you put up with all the others it's sort of like that crazy old uncle who tells great stories but he has bad breath and farts too much you, you put up with the bad to get the good yeah it's a love-hate yeah. relationship yes wow I, that that came out of the deep dark recesses of my mind <laughs> wow mark mark is there something you need to tell us <laughs> Um, I will tell you that Ubuntu is now uh, self-proclaimed the largest uh, OS cloud in the world. Excuse me, largest OS in the cloud. Well, in the OpenStack ecosystem. So maybe not in the entire cloud, but in the OpenStack cloud, they have 55% of all production are using Ubuntu. Um, and of course, you know, they, they make a point to say that's five times the number of Red Hat Enterprise. And of course, this is Mark Shuttleworth talking. So, um, you know, again, I, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but probably I would, I would think that that number at the time he got that statistic, I, I would bet that number was pretty accurate. Because, you know, again, he doesn't necessarily say we're the cloud leader. He's like, we're the leading OpenStack distribution. So, and of course, you know, Ubuntu's been real big in advancing OpenStack and they'll work with, um, people who implement their own OpenStack as long as they have like the licensing agreement to support people. So, um, you know, Ubuntu, while their desktop version of Linux might, uh, have a, a love or a hate love hate relationship with the <laughs> Unix with the Linux community. Um, their server seems to be gaining in popularity. I just personally I can't bring myself to run a Ubuntu server it, with with the, how rapid change it is. I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, all of my I servers agree. are running Scent or something similar. Yeah, I mean I'm an Ubuntu guy. I'm running Hybrid like your previous emailer said. Right now on this desktop computer, this one's running Ubuntu. The one upstairs running Ubuntu. My Intel NUC I got is going to be running Ubuntu. I love Ubuntu. But on a public-facing web server, I can't comprehend running Ubuntu, hence, like, the Heartbleed. If you were running the old CentOS, the old Red Hat, or the old Debian, the stable stuff out there, Heartbleed didn't affect you. Yeah. And that as just hammered the nail upgrade. home. Well, the, the real problem with Ubuntu server is that it's not Ubuntu server. It's Ubuntu desktop without the desktop turned on. Yep. So you, you get all those same bleeding edge sort of modules because they don't really make two different versions. 
Uh, the the same is true for CentOS. There's only one version of CentOS, which is why you should never use it as a desktop OS because yeah. it's a server. And you yeah. the two worlds uh, overlap, but they diverge enough that you can't do both of them really well. Ubuntu is focused on the desktop, and they sort of made a hack for a server uh, that doesn't really do server all as well as it could. I'll put it that way. I'm not going to say it doesn't do it well because it does. It's just uh, it just doesn't do it as well as it could. I ran some Ubuntu servers uh, when I was an admin, but only because I needed uh, the media stuff. Like one of them was a, a media transcode server. Basically, we got a, an in-house YouTube uh, that was running on Ubuntu. You're not going to be able to do that with with anything else um, because it just it has the stuff in because it's more of a desktop legacy thing. Uh, but again, because that's web facing, it's as hardened as I could make it. I wish I could remember what it was called. Red five. Was that it? I, I don't even remember the name of the, the software I used right now on it. Kaltura, it was really wasn't it? Kaltura. Thank you, Seth, for knowing my job better than I did. Um, <laughs> you, you can chip. go back and listen to the old Taiwan tech episodes and pick yes. that up. Thanks for the plug there of a show that's been dead for almost two years now, but you know, but well, anyway, there's still a lot of good content in there for True. people um, who need, you know, the uh, the enterprise admin with no budget or resources. Love to resurrect that show. Just putting that out there into the universe. Um, <laughs> so moving on a little bit, the last story is a little depressing. Uh, according to a recent survey, IT professionals are more depressed and have lower job satisfaction than in any other time in history. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, um, nearly one-third, 31% of IT professionals say the work they are currently doing is the most stressful of their career. Um, the percentage of IT professionals who would not choose to pursue a career in IT rose from 19% to 23%. Um, and the survey indicated that feelings of stress were consistent across groups so you have 32 percent of senior level it professionals and 30 percent of entry to mid-level it professionals reporting all-time high career levels and stress um you know and nearly two-thirds said that they would take a pay cut to escape stress and um you know especially of the entry to mid-level places and one of the things i think really drives this is in it more so than a lot of other places you can't get by on what you knew um, 10 years ago. If I'm an accountant, you know, assets always equal, you know, liabilities plus owner's equity unless you do funky math that eventually gets you busted and thrown in prison. Um, but, you know, that doesn't change, um, you know. But if you're in IT and you learned how to work Windows NT, some of that transfers over, some of it doesn't. Um, you know, if you learned how to get around, you know, using some IE5 or Netscape Navigator 3 interface, you're lost in today's world. So the stuff you trained and invested in to learn your career got you in the career. But if you want to stay in that career, you have to relearn something brand new while doing your job. Um, I think that's part of it, Seth. And by the yeah, way, Windows yeah. NT, best Windows server ever. Um, <laughs> uh, it's still uh, server 2000, whatever they're up to now. 
is still trying to catch up with NT. But anyway, uh, I, that's certainly part of it. Another part of it is just the the demands to do more with less. Uh, companies are demanding yep. their IT companies do more and more, IT departments do more and more, and giving them less and less. Uh, the world is becoming more technologically centric. Even enterprises that haven't in the past been technologically centric are becoming so but in the tight economy, there is no money for it. So the 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 tenth level wizards of the server room are being uh, called upon to become eleventh level wizards, uh, and you know we don't care whether you have a life or get to sleep. Yeah, and in addition, you also have to be the tenth level server wizard, and you have to be the two, the second level peon that we decided not to pay anymore. Right. Um. That's that's the thing that has hurt worst of all. It's, it's, there isn't, and plus in IT, you've never, I mean, yeah, there's kind of, you know, you work help desk for a while and then you move to the server room, but there's not like, it's not like, it's like you have to learn a totally different thing to support end users is totally different knowledge set than to support the backend network. Um, in, in addition to knowledge set, you know, the knowledge is ever changing. So, there's just there isn't a career path that you know the more you learn in this the more you advance it's like the more you learn in this you have to forget all of that and go learn something totally different while still doing all this other stuff and like one of the reasons i'm stressed at my job is you know it's not like it's like i need to do a little bit of like 10 different things a day and so I don't have the opportunity to get good at any one of those things because I, I piece it together well enough uh, to get that fire under control before I have to move to the next thing and piece it together well enough to get that fire under control. And so I don't feel like I've mastered anything. When I was in the, when I was taking inbound calls, helping people with Windows XP, I, I, I could literally be asleep and tell you how to navigate into your control panel and access your registry and go in and kill processes. I, I could be brain dead doing that, but you know, just because that's all I did, but now I have to support all these different things. It's pretty stressful. My job is. So. Click start, click run, enter shutdown dash A within the 45 seconds before the blaster worm shuts your machine yes. down. Don't yeah. tell me what it says. I know. Let me tell you what it says. Oh, <laughs> shut up. And now when it comes back up, do what I say. <laughs> See, I, I'm uh, in an interesting thing here. Where I went from being the IT guy, uh, excuse me, the, the server guy, to being an IT guy. So now what I do is primarily software facing. So I went from being that 10th level guru who who controlled everything to being a guy with a laptop that I don't even have right access to the desktop folder. Um, wow. I have read only access to the desktop. Uh, so it's, it's, it's frustrating to, to be so limited. And again, I'm in the IT department, but I'm trusted at the same level as the secretary, you know, the, the, the group policy rules are just uh, a broad swath. And I, I know that certainly uh, contributes to some of this disgruntlement that we're talking about. You're not given the ability or authority to do what you need to do. Yeah. And yep. it turns down to a lot of, you know, I'll beg for forgiveness because it's easier than to ask for permission. And that's, that's never a good way to have your organization run. Um, I could echo everyone's comments that we've had about, you know, overworked, underpaid, and then asked to do even more. 
Um, and so it's just been unbelievable at this point. Well, I'll, I'll just say this. I'm not speaking on my, my behalf now. This is not my reality. This is not my workspace. Uh, I don't know what this is a figment of someone's imagination, but <laughs> boss, if you're listening, yeah, they cannot overwork me. They cannot ask me to do enough. It is impossible for them to ask me to do something that's too much. I love that. I love the challenge. What makes other people depressed, I hear, is that technology now is became so important in every aspect of small mom and pop shops up to the biggest enterprises in the world. Technology is now so important. All of the decision-making processes have been taken completely away from technology smart people. Thus, everything that is getting used from the top down is not something that anyone who knows about tech would have picked. Thus, everything about our day-to-day job is now something that we did not intend on using, want to use, think we were going to have to use, and now we have to use. I would happily, not me, but this other guy who's imaginary, (laughs) would happily take the exact same pay and just do help desk calls all day because at least there's resolution, at least there's closure, at least there's some completion of task that's present. Right now, this other person's title is solutions architect, which means I have to take, or he has to take systems and processes and software like .NET, Team Foundation Server, COBOL programming languages and make them work together and make people happy about using it, which means that a 45 in my mouth would taste just as nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That sounds just about like my imaginary person. Um, And you know, the other thing that I always, I I always see, and it's not just in my position or in any, in in my imaginary position or anything else, but um, I, there's people being, you know, like, well, no, I'm not, I'm going to say this because I can honestly say that nobody in my school district is ever going to listen to my show. So since I can say this without worry, I have been, because I'm the computer guy, now I am also the state reporting guy and the uh, databasing guy and yeah. the everything else guy. And yet if I don't do my day to day job, I get yelled at. If the state comes back and says, well, you didn't file that report correctly, you need to refile it or else we're going to break your funding, I get yelled at. And it's that whole idea where, you know, tech people are asked to do a hundred times more things than what they've been hired in to do. And I think that has a lot to do with it as well. This week on Everyday Gripe Session. uh, (laughs) It's like taking your lawnmower to your auto mechanic. Yeah. Nobody does that, but in the tech world, it's okay. They just turn to you and say, "You know computers, right?" Right. Yeah. Electrons run through this. You must know everything about it. Exactly. I, I was actually asked to fix a toaster once <laughs> because it's like a computer, isn't it? Uh. uh you, door. What you were talking about. Uh, I have a great example of that, and it's a few years old, and and I don't work there anymore, so meh. Mm. Um, but I had this project, this large multi-thousand-dollar project that I had intended. Uh, to be based on Linux. Um, and because a certain teacher whined about the fact that she absolutely had to have some Windows-only software, I don't remember what it was, 
my Linux desktops were replaced with Windows desktops with Office on it. And then my boss came to me and said, why are you 60% over budget? Well, let me explain to you why I'm 60% over budget. Because you told me all these machines had to have Windows on them. Um, And, you know, that sort of stuff happens all the time. It happens to everybody. IT guys are not, um, you know unusual in that every everybody has a pointy-haired boss who uh doesn't understand their job right if when (laughs) you can't as a boss know the jobs of everybody under you uh it's just it just is what it is but i think it's interesting that that like i was saying earlier the technology is becoming the center point like chris said everything now is computerized therefore since it's computerized our computer guys have to do it doesn't matter that a an entirely different part of our workforce used to do it now that it's computerized the computer guy does it. how about this i was asked to solder microphone jacks I'm the computer guy. What the heck should I be doing with a solder gun and microphone jacks? Electrons run through it, Chris. Uh, I know that. <laughs> you know, between all the conversations we've had, but really, you know, the, yeah. and then, and that wasn't, or, that was, anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, or you can take somebody from the maintenance department and have them do computer work because you're maintaining computers. <laughs> ah, genius, genius. Yes. I'll have to bring that up next that, time. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I no longer work for that place. And so, uh, you know, and I won't mention them by name, but yeah, that was like, oh, you know, I guess, I guess their thinking was we have to maintain computers so we can take somebody from the maintenance department and transfer them into the IT department. Um, that really happened. I've yes, seen it. Really happened. Oh, I've my seen it. Goodness. The, the, a long, long, long time ago, I was working at a hospital. The hospital did not have a dedicated IT staff. So what happened is the guy in maintenance who said, hey, I like computers, became the IT staff. I'm never going to – I can't go to that hospital. You have to email me where it's at. <laughs> you know what? I think after this discussion, Seth, we really very much need a random link of the week. Bail us out here, brother. Make us feel better. Thank you. Okay. Uh Okay, I'll switch it. I'm going to give you two. Actually, I'll do two because I really want to do my other one. Or were you saying right now? Yeah, right now. <laughs> oh, okay. That was my um, intro to that part of the show. Oh, are we wrapping up already? <laughs> Apparently <laughs> not. In, brother. <laughs> we're two no, hours okay. in, brother. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I Okay, goatslive.com. G-O-A-T. T S L I V E dot com. What you said? No, but you just have a an an unhealthy affinity for goats. I'm there's way too much goat content on this show lately. I want to know why there's a chat room on this page. (laughs) Really? It's We're gonna log in and talk about live, goats. Live webcam of goats. Awesome. Why? But Why? they have a main feed and a backup feed, so it's very, you can watch those goats no matter what. Yeah. Now it is UStream, so you do have to uh, you do have to go through an ad to get there. But you just you just sitting there watching goats. So um, I thought it would be great. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you, Seth. I needed that. It is two goats in a pen. That's yeah. it. In the dark. In the chat live. At in night. A chat. In a chat. <laughs> I don't understand the chat. Why is there a chat box? During the day, they're outside, and you're looking at them sitting in the shade under a tree. <laughs> Goatslive.com. Um yeah, the other the other link um that I want to share this week is I came across this news article. It's a um this week marks the 20th anniversary of All Good Things, one of the greatest series finales ever. Actually, the series finale for Star Trek the Next Generation as they concluded their 7-year uh just domination of all things TV. And so they uh, the two writers who wrote that and also wrote the the Generations movie, they just kind of interviewed them and talked about their thoughts as they um you know some of the things they remembered from that. And you know Yahoo has this thing of like taking down their blogs and giving them different URLs. So if you're catching up, um, you know, months or years later and coming across this, this link probably won't work, but, um, you can check the show notes for it's just again, it's the, it's the writers talking about the series finale for Star Trek, the next generation. Um, it just reminded me of what an awesome show it was and how they did a great job of wrapping up the series and so you can go through and read that and um you know i figure there's a high overlap between our listeners and geeks who would appreciate star trek the next generation um that was my generation star trek so there you go nice all right and we have to circle back because uh, i saw what uh, this week in history is and that's one of my favorite things i've talked about it several times on the show before a fellow by the name of bob metcalf at xerox park invented a small piece of technology you may have heard of yes uh may 22nd 1973 bob metcalf invents ethernet um he invented the ethernet computer connectivity system describing in a memo how the technology would work the name ethernet refers to medium independent transmission of data packets and is based on a discredited physical theory of an existing ether in space allowing transmission of light rays from the sun to the earth uh, it looks like one of the goats is on the move. <laughs> the goat cam. <laughs> Sorry. Up walking around and the other one's looking at him right at, oh, lying down. <laughs> Sorry. That's some bonus commentary you only get during the live episodes. And then, um, uh, Bob Metcalf went on to later to form a small company you may have heard of called 3Com, mm. uh, where he took his in- invention to the world. Uh, Xerox Park, man, we, we've got to do a show about Xerox Park because, there, we could talk for hours about the the brilliant were there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, and that's this week in history, awesome. thirty nine years ago. <laughs> seven people currently watching the goats. Seven people, five watching the goats. goats I still don't understand why is there a goat life. So you can chat with other goat lovers. I, I don't. Wait a minute, goat I lovers. Don't I don't want to go there. Uh, goat enthusiasts. Thank you. You could goat watchers. Goat watchers. <laughs> who watches the goat watchers oh that there you go there's a rambling show that with uh with uh i think heady intellectual content uh good old-fashioned whining and goats what more do you want from a show bacon bacon <laughs> yeah 
sorry, there was no good bacon content this week. I apologize, and I will attempt to rectify that in future episodes. If you've got a comment on anything we talked about this week, uh, head on over to elementopi.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Send us an email, email uh, at uh, edl at elementopi.com or uh, dial 559-IMOP from any phone anywhere in the North American continent, and uh, you can uh, leave us a voicemail there, as our good friend Door to Door Geek does all the time um and uh uh you can uh we'll we'll read your email we uh we may make fun of you uh we may <laughs> ridicule you you never know what's going to happen uh but we will definitely appreciate your feedback again as i often say on this show this is listener programmed content we we do uh, what we do in service to you so we can't know what to do unless you tell us um and uh we uh we look forward to uh, hearing your comments. Uh, Dor, thanks for being with us. Anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, first off, I want to say thank you, guys. Uh, I truly enjoy every week when I see that new show appear in my feed. So I will. De- I definitely want to thank you, guys. Uh, I'm over at podnuts.com, P-O-D-N-U-T-Z.com, home of a lot of shows, 11-plus shows. But the show I want to push people towards right now is Android App Addicts. Because it's kind of like this show, a lot of fun, a whole lot of tangents, but we just redid it where now it's a daily show, about 15 to 20 minutes, really easy to die to uh, download, to, to take in short burst of content, a couple apps, a lot of banter and a lot of fun. Have y'all talked about the poop app on, poop log app. on that yet? Yeah. yeah. The poop log app. I know someone did bring a diagnosis poop up that when you take your number two, it would you could then find out the descriptors of said poop and it would tell you how your health yeah, off was. of the Bristol Myers poop scale, the uh, famous yep. uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, th- th- that was one of my links of the week. Uh, what was the texture uh, a while back? Seekers and floaters. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I wanted to apologize to everyone, Mark, uh, and just say that Mark threw me for a loop because I told him that my link this week wasn't that random. So when he threw it out there, it kind of, he threw me for a loop. And just a quick update, if you have a Roku device, there's a Goats Live channel that <laughs> oh, you can uh, watch oh. on your Roku as well. <laughs> Goats everywhere. Uh, Chris, Seth, uh, as always, thanks for, for being the excellent host that you are, Dorth. Thanks for being with us. You, the listener, thank you for putting yourself through the torture that is this show once again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, we'll see you next week. And that ends this episode of Everyday Lives.